Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hoods, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good afternoon. Indeed. So today we're recording episode, today's episode slightly out of kilter. We're in the afternoon of Thursday, the 21st of January. We've got Brexit related issues seem to be the theme that's looming large for us this week. Also some newly released stats on inflation and an ONS survey that's got some new data in it that we thought we'd have a quick look at. Um, and I'd also like to get Nick's thoughts on retail sector, looking at some of the, um, like what, what's, what's happening in the results that are, are starting to come out. So should we start with consumer price index um, inflation measure? That's up to 0.6% in December, which has doubled 0.3% in November. Um, and it's welcome news, really, isn't it? I think uh, nobody really likes the idea of inflation things getting getting more expensive. It's still very low levels. And I think you've talked to us before about the perils of, of deflation. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the, the because deflation, I mean, I've done... Um, quite a lot of research into the Great Depression in in America and then worldwide in the in the late twenties and, and through most of the nineteen thirties. And the thing that dogged a lot of the countries, particularly the states, and to a lesser extent here in the UK, was actually that um, you got deflation because what happened was that um, consumer spending dropped, so um, uh, businesses reduced their prices and consumers thought that's interesting so if the prices are falling if we wait a little longer they'll fall further so they delayed further and it became a, a spiral a, a, kind a, of a vicious mm. deflationary spiral and if you haven't got economic growth you get a thing called stagflation which is a combination of the two and it's really awful so if we've got inflation um rising slightly and of course the bank of england is tasked with having it up at about Two percent, not more than, but up to about two percent, because it's generally felt that inflation is a good thing in inverted commas. Um, And it's interesting. I mean, the ONS uh, release about this is an absolute masterclass in complete gibberish, (laughs) quoting um, explanations for a different index to CPI, CPIH and all sorts of confusing breakdowns between different sectors. But I think overall, let's leave it that it's a, it's probably good news that inflation has, has, has risen modestly in December. And we'll see. And I think we're also, we're also expecting, uh, the, the forecasts are expecting in April, you know, if nothing happens, because we've got that VAT cut at the moment, which I think has slightly dampened yeah. um, price, <clears throat> think, price rise and has. so on. So I think it has. I, I, I also wanted to, um, as, as our regular listeners will know, um, we are not the greatest fans of the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane. Although we haven't who, met him, but he does come out with some quite well, bizarre... Well, he does, and on, on, um, on, uh, on Tuesday, he'll be on Thursday afternoon. On Tuesday, he came out and he is quoted as saying, the economy will recover at a rate of knots from Q2. That's in about 10 weeks' time. Um, onwards, as the vaccines are rolled out. Now, whether you like that or not, whether you think he's on happy pills or not, I've actually found out why this is happening. Okay. Because the police raided some premises in Throgmorton Street, immediately Uh. behind the Bank of England, and discovered the (laughs) first ever cannabis factory. I read, I saw this. (laughs) 
in a basement, and and there was and apparently they were they were led to it by by um, people who worked and lived in the area who complained about the strong smell. So but one can only assume because normally there are too many people for for you to hide this kind of thing. But because it's I know, but the it's, city, they went there because there's nobody, a lot. nobody there. But I mean, I can only assume that Andy Haldane's um, office is at the back of the Bank of England um, near near the cannabis factory, but. That's just purely scurrilous, and I do I do apologise to him for <laughs> such a suggestion. But it's anyway, so- I mean, I think the, the, I I heard um, today. You know, there's been a lot of speculation about when the, the lockdown measures will ease, and I think you know the, the sage advisors are coming out saying, well, you know, really May at the absolute earliest um, yeah. is when they are prepared to say that that things might might um, might change. And you know, it, it's it is still hard to. Um, to see if people have got to get two doses of vaccine, we've got to hope that there's no other um, mutations of the virus that make the vaccines ineffective and so on. There's still lots of uncertainty around there. So yeah. to say that you can suddenly get dramatic growth um, from this... Well, it's an, interesting, seem... it's an interesting theory. I mean, I, th- yeah. I think to be fair to him, what he's trying to do is to counter the screeching Jeremiah's in the back of the room saying, you know... Um, it's all going to end in total disaster. So I think he swung the other way to try and get some balance into the debate. But we'll see whether we see how right or how wrong but, it I mean, turns said out to be. Last week, didn't we? Wouldn't it be nice to have just a kind of middle of the road, quite balanced, fair opinion? Yes. And you just don't seem to get that. It's either the doom mongers or the the boosterism, and and nobody really in in between. But we're on a quest to to find them. So we, when we do find them, we will we will bring them to you. Um, I was going to say, let's pick up on the ONS. Um, are we great minds? Yeah. Okay. Yes, we, um, we agree. <laughs> we agree. Good, good. Um, so the the ONS um, have a, a every two week coronavirus impact assessment, and this time for the first time they have included information that's been provided by the Bank of England on credit and debit card um, spending. So this is this um, we've talked about these kind of um, experimental data sets in the past, and they're. Everybody is quite excited about them because it's more real time than the GDP figures, which lag kind of six weeks or so um, behind events. But of course, because they're experimental, they haven't really gone through the rigor of, you know, collection um, and the the weaknesses in in drawing conclusions. However, it is worth looking at these. And and the headline here is pretty, um, pretty shocking. It's a 35 percent drop um, in spending below February 2020. Um, yeah, and, that's and this, is, sharper, this is for the second week of January. This is second week of January. Sorry, yeah, that's true. Second week of January up to the fourteenth, I think, isn't it? So it's first full week of lockdown. Is that is that uh, right? Yes, that's right. And and it's yes, it's the first it's the first full week of of lockdown. So it's thirty five percent down. And as I said to you before before we started recording, I think that hides a greater truth because if my shopping habits are spending habits are anything like everybody else's. Since this thing started, I should think my cash spending has dropped by 95%. There's almost nowhere now that I shop using cash. In fact, I'll be able to draw any cash. So if the credit card and debit card transactions are down 35%, I think the reality is that the uh, actual volume of sales is probably down by more. It won't be a big deal. But think of all those transactions where you used to pay cash and you now just you just tap with your contact contactless card mm. with that. So I think that's I think that's a very interesting stat, and we'll see where that one goes. 
Yeah, and that's interesting that you bring that up because I think there's been um, some research even this week and some consumer groups who have been quite worried about the um, the number of places that are not actually even accepting cash anymore yeah. and, the, and the kind of vulnerable, um, the impact on vulnerable in society that, that that may have. I suppose then, you know, the linking to that consumer spending um, point, retail footfall um, is down 33%, 33% on what it was um, a year ago. And I think you had some some other interesting um, research from... Yes. I mean, looking, looking at retail, I mean, it's been quite interesting. Um, uh, the news that is in the public domain about Christmas... And, and bear in mind, Christmas is the be-all and end-all of for most retailers. It's when they make their money, um, and it's when they lose their money if things go badly, and it's when it's when they fall over and end up in administration if they go really badly. Um, but almost all of the news from the major retailers has been positive, either in terms of sales or profits or both. So everywhere you turn now, to be fair. You, I've been through post-Christmas reporting seasons in retail for 20 years now. So I'm sort of used to all this. Normally, you do get the good news first. And yeah. you get some of unless it's really cataclysmic bad news, which, which a listed company has to uh, update on more swiftly, you get the good news first. But of course, my point about this, and, and, and the other retail pundits make the same point over and over again, what we're getting at the moment are the results from the big players, the listed companies, the really big um, household names. And they have been the one, the retailers with the resources to shift effectively online. Yeah. Because on, on online, the penetration of online in retail has doubled. In the, I mean, it's, it's off the scale, isn't it, it really? It's the, off the scale. The, the, it's the just, and it continues, mm. to, it continues to rise, unsurprisingly, with so many shops being closed. But of course, it's much more problematical for the smaller retailers. A lot of independent retailers have worked miracles with creating websites from scratch, point blank notice, I, but a lot haven't done so well. And I wonder how profitable that whole online trading model for some of the smaller retailers really is. And that leads me to some research from the Centre for Retail Research, yeah. uh, which is attached to Nottingham University, I think, if I'm right in saying. Uh, which has a wonderful website called Who's Gone Bust in Retail? And it it's is, busy, it is a, isn't it, this, this year? Well, as an ex-insolvency practitioner, yeah. it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a bodice ripper for me, but um, for most it's rather uh, depressing. Anyway, uh, they, have, they had already about a week ago reported that 2020 was the worst year for retail, probably in, uh, in living memory, even eclipsed the, the carnage in 2008 and 2009 mm. in the global financial crisis. They are now predicting that, that having looked back at 2020, they're now looking forward to 2021, and they are predicting 200,000 more retail job losses in the first half of 2021. Wow. And they're forecasting that there will be 328 shop closures a week right through 2021. And that is... And what does that, how does that compare? Yeah, sorry, you can say... That's 18% up. On last year, and goodness knows, last year was a was a disaster. Was so, and we still haven't. Just make I'm right about this, aren't I? We still haven't heard any confirmation about business rates um, no. and what the the situation is going to be because that 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 holiday or the um you know the business rates it was actually a, it was actually a relief, wasn't it? Business rates were mm. not payable. It's not it's not like suddenly yeah. there's a big bill coming on business rates, and um, that obviously ends at the end of March. So, I mean, presumably we we, we would expect to hear pretty soon on. 
Um, yes, there's a, there's there's a. It's fair to say there's a you know um, the chancellor's under a lot of pressure in a lot of directions, and what the treasury keeps doing is batting back and saying, "Wait for the budget on March the eighth. Wait for the budget on March the eighth. We'd rather see how it's going and how the vaccination program is impacting on." coronavirus statistics, you know, we'd rather not rush at it. And I sort of get that. But that leads me to, interestingly, um, uh, there are very strong rumours that the Chancellor's going to cave about the £20 extra on universal credit, £20 a week Mm -hmm. extra. uh, And there is talk about that being extended until July. That's actually very clever. That is a cheaper option because the other... um, suggestion was that he was going to, and I think he actually may have said that in in this in public, he was looking at giving everybody in universal credit a one-off £500 payment. Oh, really? Now, that's 25 weeks' money. Yeah. If he only extends to July, it's not 25 weeks' money, it's less. Yeah. So it could actually be a cheaper option. So we'll see where that goes. There's also talk about a £500 million fund for the freelancers who didn't fit into the criteria for the self-employed uh, income support schemes on that. Um, so we'll see again where that where that goes and whether the pressure mounts to the point where he has to do something before March. But even so, that's good news um, about the, the amount of money in the economy for consumers to spend. Absolutely. Mm. But the ONS, gosh, I mean, they have been busy uh, this week, published research, I think, today, confirming that Nine million people have been forced to borrow more money to cope with the pandemic. Yeah, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? That is that's really... almost an unimaginable yeah. statistic. And, uh, you know, it's it, 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 hard to wrap your head around that um, because that's all debt that one day will have to be repaid mm. or written off one or the other. Yeah, one it's of... um, those, those issues of... Um, of of debt, and I think there is a big divide, isn't there? With the, you know, not that's not really where we where we necessarily want to go. But I do think it's worth just pausing to think there is a big divide between um, the the people in office jobs who have been able to switch and see their um, outgoings reduced quite a lot, and and have got savings from those who mm. you know in these in these sectors where you know they've been decimated, retail, hospitality, and so on, um, where you know the money is really is really tight. So. Yeah, something to. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, do we talk about Brexit? Yeah, I think we should, shouldn't we? Um, (laughs) Honestly, the issues are so complex, and I I, I said to you, I I find that it's one of those one of those things where just I think I've got my head around what's going on. I read an article and think, oh, actually, no, I don't. I'm not sure I do understand the the complexities because we've we've had more stories um, this week of unsuspecting consumers in the UK being landed with hefty bills for VAT or input duties administration charges or all three of those <laughs> of those things and so it's it's the, the the link we shared last week with the podcast is get worth worth reading again as a yeah. quick um summary it's goods up to 135 pounds imported where the seller is meant to collect VAT at the point of um sale and what we're we're finding now is that the hauliers um are, seem to be reluctant to do the EU UK journey because they are being um, required to give financial guarantees to customs to cover the VAT on their um, and, on their and, truck and any import tariffs and, and import and, tariffs and all that and and they also have the concern about 
you know, normally how this works is that, you know, a, a load from the EU comes in one way and then a load from the UK goes back the other way. But of course, trying to get trying to get any shipment out of the UK um, is proving challenging. Some of it teething troubles, some of it not. Mm. Um, and it's interesting, the um, rejection rate for transport journeys to the UK in the second week of January were up 168% on the figures for the third quarter of 2020. And they've doubled in the first week, first calendar week of, of 2021. Oh. These are European hauliers declining jobs to bring goods to the UK. Because it's not and worth and stories, it's just because it's not worth their it's not worth the extra admin and, and potential yeah. financial liability that they're going to incur. Well, yes, because and, and one of those Guardian articles, um, and there have been many Guardian articles about it, as you might expect from their mm. from where they come at life from. Um, you know, quoting um one uh f- freight forwarder um of 20 years' experience saying, You've got to remember that if you know one of my European shippers comes in with a with a container with 200,000 pounds worth of goods on board the guarantee he's going to have to provide is going to be 40,000 pounds mm. on and one of course, shipment um, and there is um i think that's the again the, the perhaps the teething element of this is that there isn't the capacity for these guarantees you know there hasn't if there hasn't been a, a market for them before then there hasn't been the, there's been a capacity that that matches the market well now the market has obviously got bigger and there's going to be it'll take time for the capacity for guarantees to actually um to come through but you've also got to to question whether it's economically yeah, but, but also viable bearing anymore. bear in mind it it you know it, it affects the shape of the balance sheet of the holia mm. Because until until that that is settled mm. by whoever is responsible for it, the answer is that sits there as a li- as a potential a contingent liability mm. in the Hawley's balance sheet, and restricts their ability to trade and to borrow money elsewhere. So it's not at all straight. Uh, uh, straight, straightforward. Um, and going the other way, actually looking at the other side. So then, this is a Bloomberg article that we found um, quoting research by um, Haki Young, and they um, they reckon that twenty percent of SMEs in the UK have suspended exports. To the EU. And there, yeah. it's the, the problem. There seems to be about the certificate of origin um, documentation that's required in order to prove that something is UK and hasn't come and, in from. And it's the, and it's the cost okay. because you know the, the, again the Guardian, the Telegraph, you. Open a newspaper or click on their website, you will find uh, examples. Uh, there's one in the Guardian of a, uh, a lady somewhere in Cumbria running a, um, a clothing business, brings her clothing in from China to the UK, sells some of it in the UK, sells the rest to Europe. Now she's, uh, first of all, she can't certify that it's of UK origin because it's not. Because it's not. Mm-hmm. So now there's that tariffs and extra admin costs piled on top. And I think the quote is a 200 pound quote, um, quote had picked up 101 pounds worth of um, extra charges. So, because nobody, nobody's gonna buy on that basis. So uh, just as the hauliers won't come into the UK, a lot of the UK SMEs particularly are saying, this is simply too difficult. We're not going to sell into Europe. So they'll have to find other markets for this stuff. As I say, I mean, 
will it work out? I may, may, as I said, business people are very creative and oh, it, it'll, know, get, it'll, sure, get, it'll better. get better. It will get better, but it ain't half going to be a blip in them. Uh, a lot of companies trading and a lot of economic data for January, February. Yeah, it's going to look, start looking quite odd, isn't it? Some of the the, the stats that we, oh, we get out be very, very, very weird. So and it was interesting. I think you picked it's up a, it's the, a watch um, space. You picked up though the fact that it is starting to gain attention. Wasn't there a statement this morning? Oh yes, how how HMRC. interesting that this morning the boss of HMRC was moved to put out a statement confirming that it was true that consumers, let me quote, will be hit by price hikes when they order goods from the EU online. Uh, it'll be that, it'll be customs duty if the goods are not of uh, EU origin and um, the costs of couriers and royal mail for doing the customs clearance for it. So when HMRC is, is putting out statements, the boss, to confirm that it's all true, I think what he's, aim, what he's aiming at is saying to people, um, look, you're, uh, you know, the people you're buying from are not, um, are not cheating you. It's real. I'm terribly sorry, but this is what's going to happen. So there we go. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I'm conscious we've, 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 we've been talking for, for quite a time. And, and to just wrap up a little bit, I'm, it's going to be a bit folksy. I'm going to take on Nick's mantle here. But the, the stories about Brexit kind of transported me to back when I lived in Bucharest in 2001. And my memory is of, of receiving a, a, a note through my, my letterbox in my apartment block of flats telling that I had a parcel from the UK. So that involved a, a trip to one of the more unsalubrious neighbourhoods of the, the city on a rickety tram um, at a particular time stop because this, this, these, these places were only open like at very particular times during the day, producing multiple IDs and permits and of course the cash and, and, and receiving my, my pass and thinking how quaint um, and what a nostalgic experience it was. And it is quite hard to, to imagine that fast forward 20 years and we're kind of doing the same thing in the in the UK, not quite so so quaint when um, when it's suddenly imposed. So let's let's hope that we'll have better better news over the coming week. So thank you very much, Nick, for your Pleasure. insight. Pleasure to talk as always. Thanks to everybody for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.